For those of you that are, most of you that are members, have been here quite some time, at least since uh, I became the full-time preacher a little over 12 years ago. Some of you are thinking, it's just been that long? But uh, uh, you know that uh, my style of preaching, if I have one, I don't know if I have one, but it's to normally take a book out of the Bible and kind of preach through it or a section or, or have some kind of a theme and preach through a specific theme. And rarely, if ever, do I just take a particular topic and preach on it because of a specific purpose or a specific need. I normally don't like to do that. You know, some of you remember before I became the preacher, I told you don't ever think so highly of yourself that I preached a sermon just for you. You know, don't don't think that I spent all week long thinking about what you needed and preached just to you. Now, if it happened to fit, isn't that great? And I find that preaching through the Bible, preaching through God's word is a great way to cover just about every topic because that's the way God's word is. But this morning I was going to do something a little different. In the 32 years at least that I've been here, and I suspect probably the five years before that, because that would be Norman's time before I got here. We have never really had much of a sermon on giving. For our visitors here today, I want you to know that this is not a topic that we harp on, that we preach on, that we talk about a lot. In fact, like I said, in 32 years, I don't know that we ever have. And I'll tell you right now that this is a little uncomfortable for me. I don't know why, but it is. It's more uncomfortable for me than what we talked about in the high school class this morning, which was 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the first few verses, which talks about sex and marriage. Okay? So the idea of talking about giving, I don't know why it is uncomfortable. I know one of the reasons that it hasn't been preached on here is because it really has never been needed. This congregation has always been blessed with generous liberal giving, always met its financial obligations. I know since I've been here, anytime we have had to take out a note, it has been paid off early. And we can be grateful because of that. Always been able to do many works both here and around the world because of the liberality and the generousness, generosity, that's the word, generosity of our uh, church family. But as we look around, it is no surprise that we have, over the last few years, lost some of our members. We have lost some to death. They have passed on. We have lost some to needing to move to be closer to family uh, because of their situation. And we have lost some for other reasons. And this has, over the last couple of years, put us in a different situation financially than we've ever been in, at least in the time that I've been here. Wanted to just make the congregation aware of a couple of things. We are nearly three quarters through this, what we call our fiscal year, which is the calendar year. We are averaging $1,000 a week below our budget. 
in contribution. If that continues by my math, and I'm no math major, well, yeah, I am. But anyway, by the end of the year, that will be a shortfall of about $52,000 to our budget. Now, we have tried as elders and deacons to do the best that we can to uh, trim where we can without actually cutting any works. We knew that we were already in this kind of uh, a pattern before we made the budget for 2019, but, but we didn't want to cut anything, so we tried to trim in other areas so that we could keep the good works going that, that we're doing. But if this pattern does continue, then as we think about our 2020 budget, that's going to have to change. And there's going to have to be some hard decisions. Now, for visitors, again, this is kind of, kind of, you know, housekeeping for, for us. But most of you know, our members know that several, many, many years ago, Max Ragland, uh, who was never married, didn't have any children, not really any relatives per se. When he died, he left a large sum to the church and he left it with kind of the idea, the request that the principle of that money that was donated not be used, but that the dividend and the interest used off of the investment of that money would be used primarily, if not exclusively, for mission efforts. And so a lot of our mission efforts, especially our big mission efforts, are paid for out of that Max Ragland fund. Other funds have been given to that since then, but it was mainly his fund. But we still do other mission works through our general budget and general things like that. Uh, I have a youth activity fund, or there is a youth activity fund, and... From time to time, individuals generously give to that youth activity fund so that we can help pay for camp or retreats or cut down on expenses for all kinds of, of different areas. And, and that is kind of separate and apart from our uh, regular budget items, financial statement, I guess, items that we talk about. With this in mind, this morning I wanted to remind us a little bit of some biblical principles involving giving. And I started thinking about this and I thought, you know, I shouldn't feel awkward about this. I shouldn't feel uncomfortable about this. Paul wrote about it. It's in the Bible. So I think it's okay to remind ourselves of some principles concerning giving. If you're having your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to skip to chapter 9 and read verses 6 through 15. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and talking to them about their giving. He says, beginning in verse 8, or chapter 8 and verse 1, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. 
So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the completion, this act of grace, on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And then over in chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad the gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, generosity, through your generosity will result in the thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for the generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So this morning, real quickly, I just wanted to point out some principles that Paul was laying out to the Corinthians about giving. Now, the situation was that the brothers and sisters in Judea, in, in uh, Jerusalem, were undergoing extreme hardship. And the other brethren in other parts of Asia and Europe were gathering contributions to send to help them. And so Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, reminding them that very soon he or Titus or somebody was going to come along to collect what they had collected and carry down to the brethren there. And so the first thing he reminds them is that giving is a sacrifice. Paul lifts up the Macedonians as an example of sacrificial giving. He says that they gave in their poverty. And he says they even gave more than they were really able to. He says not only did they give when they were poor, they gave even more than they really were able to give. And they gave more than we could have ever imagined that they could have given. That it was a sacrificial giving. Paul also reminds us of the great sacrifice. Paul, how how did I start that? Did I start that as Christ said or Paul said? Okay, good. Well, I started it right. I ended it wrong. Paul reminded us of the great sacrifice Christ made on our behalf. 
You know, it was not a little thing. It was not a light thing for Jesus to come and give his life. And that through his poverty, we became rich. There's an interesting story in 2 Samuel chapter 24. There'd been a famine in the land and David wanted to know because as usual, Israel was not acting like they ought to act. And David was kind of wondering, how do I fix this with God? And so in 2 Samuel 24, beginning of verse 18, it says, On that day, Gad, who was a prophet, went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the, flesh, on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Aruna saw and looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to your servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered. So I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever he pleases and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and here are the threshing sleds and ox yokes for the wood. Oh, King Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna said also to him, may the Lord your God accept you. So you see what's going on. David is coming and he wants to buy this piece of land, this threshing floor. And he's going to build an altar and he's going to sacrifice to God. And Aruna, and I don't even know if that's how you pronounce his name, but that's what we're going with this morning. Aruna says, oh no, king, I will gladly donate everything to you so you can offer the sacrifice. I'll give you the oxen, I'll give you the sheep, I'll give you the goats, I'll give you the lamb, whatever. I'll even give you the wood to build the altar and burn the altar or burn, you know. I'll give it all to you. And this is what David says. So David, uh, but the king said, but the king replied to Aruna, no. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. In our giving, and this is a time of intro retrospection. In our giving, do we give only enough that we won't miss it? Or do we actually give to the point that it is a sacrifice to give to the Lord? Paul tells us that the Macedonians were giving sacrificially. David refused to give the Lord that that he wasn't going to miss. That that cost him nothing. And you remember that as Jesus sat across from the temple and watched the people as they gave. And some of them were dropping in, you know, I'm just going to use American money terms. Some of them were dropping in, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars. And the little widow came and dropped in her two pennies. And Jesus said, you want to know who gave the most out of everybody? Not the ones who gave out of their abundance. And probably weren't going to miss it. But the widow who gave her two mites. Her two pennies. Because that was all she had. She gave more than all of them gave. 
And I believe when we give to God, there ought to be a level of sacrifice. That we show to God that we are willing to give when it costs us something. Because again, what he gave cost him greatly. Secondly, giving is a privilege. In chapter 8 and verse 4, notice he says, talking about the Macedonians again, they urgently pleaded with us. It's gone. For the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. The Macedonians saw it as a privilege to contribute to the work being done among the brethren in Jerusalem. They wanted to share in that privilege. They, they, even out of their, their, what they didn't have. Now, those of you that have been to foreign countries that are less fortunate than us, we have, I've witnessed that. I've witnessed going to Brazil or Mexico or other places where people had very little, but they wanted the privilege of sharing with me or with our group in the name of the Lord. And I would think to myself, you know, they shouldn't be fixing dinner for us. We ought to be taking them out to dinner. I mean, we got everything. They got nothing. But they see it and saw it as a privilege to be able to share in whatever work was going on. It ought to be a privilege for us as God's people to share in the work that this congregation specifically is doing. We should see our contribution as an opportunity to be involved in the works of this church family. In teaching and preaching both here and away. In benevolence work that we do in the community and away as well. And just the privilege of contributing to the everyday expenses of the local congregation. You know, I was talking about our budget a little while ago. And you know, we, we try to put in a little cushion you know, in the budget, we don't, we don't ever want to get it right down to the penny, but you know, things come up. One air conditioner is about $10,000 and we don't know like a few weeks ago that the bus is going to have to have six new tires. Do you know how much great big old tires for that big bus cost? Or that the ice maker is going to break. You know, we try to factor those things in and we only have a little cushion and that's why every now and then if we get a little below budget, it's not that big of a deal. But in our current situation, it's beginning to be a little of a deal. But it's a privilege, not just an obligation. It is an obligation, but it's more than an obligation. It's a privilege that we can take joy in. Thirdly, giving is a Christ-like attitude. As we strive to be more like Christ every day, giving is a part of the Christ-like personality. Paul reminds us that even though Christ was rich, he became poor for us, that through his poverty, we might be made rich. Those verses in Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 5 through 8, and we love those verses, you know. Have this attitude in you, or have the mind of Christ in you, 
that though he existed in the very nature with God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself or made himself nothing and became a servant and became a man and humbled himself to death and not just death, but death on a cross. And we see that giving, that being rich and then giving that up to come down here and live as a man and to die on a cross so that we might be rich. When we give generously, when we give abundantly, we become Christ-like in our attitudes. These characteristics of humility and generosity to the work and the will of God is a part of maturing into a Christ-like child of God. Fourthly, giving is a service to others. In chapter 9 and verse 12, if you remember, Paul said, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What Paul is saying is, is that not only is your giving helping people, and it is, it is a service. You can think about all the different things that this congregation is involved in, the opportunities that we have to serve, and we can serve as individuals, can't we? Sure we can. We can be benevolent as an individual. We can be mission-minded as an individual. But there are just certain things that we can do better when we do them collectively. That the church is able to do because of the greater uh, amount of funds that are available. The greater opportunity to serve. Whether it be our benevolence up here or whether it be mission work. Or whether it be a number of different things that we do. Yes, we have those opportunities and responsibilities individually, but there's also the sense in which we can do more in some ways collectively. The volume and efficiency in which we can help others is great. Missions, children's own benevolence, and much more. We serve others together through our giving. That's one of the things I've always tried to impress upon us and hope that, you know, we all understand is that whether it's our mission works or our benevolence works or our teaching programs or world Bible school or whatever it is, that even though you may not feel a direct part of what's going on, you're a part. You're a part because of your contribution, because of your support. You may have never been to Brazil. How many of you have not been to Brazil? Raise your hand. Yeah. But you are an active part of the work in Brazil. How many of you have not been to Ghana? Never been to Ghana? Raise your hand. Yeah. But you are an active part of the work in Ghana. Because of what you contribute because of our ability to serve in all these different ways, because of the opportunities that we have. But not only is it a service to others, look at what it says again in verse 9, chapter 9 and verse 12. I, I love this. 
This service that you perform is not only a supply of the needs of God's people. In other words, giving and having the opportunity to serve others, that's not just what it's all about. But it is an overflow, but it is also an overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Some of you will notice that I went over and talked to Mark. Uh, I had, I had to talk to him before, before I came up here. I meant to do it before, uh, services and forgot, but I wanted to make sure I was right about this. And he assured me I am. But several years ago, a couple in, uh, several years ago, there was flooding in Brazil around Porto Alegre where, uh, Mark and Jew were. And there's a couple named uh, Lauro and Lorena. And their house flooded. Well, their whole neighborhood flooded. But their house was part of the flooding. And they said that when people were trying to figure out how they were going to rebuild and and what was going to happen, that even people in the neighborhood said, you know, we're not going to have to really worry about Lauro and Lorena because the church is going to take care of them. And the church here was a part of that. We were able to send funds down to Brazil to help them with cleanup and rebuild and, and all those kinds of things. And so even the people in the community, in a sense, praised God because of what was done. And not only that, but several souls were brought to Christ because of the impact that that made when people saw that and saw the church and saw the love and saw the support that was being made. That's kind of what Jesus said, isn't it? When he said, you're the light of this world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a lamp or light a candle and hide it under the lamp. But they set it on the table so it can be seen by all. Therefore, let your light so shine before the world that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. People perhaps in a community that would have never been open to the gospel message. But we're open because they saw the service and the concern of the church. And your name, the name of the Dangerfield congregation, the Dangerfield church family was uplifted because of what we were able to do. What this church was, what you were able to do because of the contribution that we're able to make. Fifthly, giving is an expression of gratitude. Paul makes the case that there is a direct correlation between our generosity in giving and our thankfulness to God. He makes that correlation. We offer thanks and gratitude to God in many ways. But one of those ways is by giving to the needs of the church. We would never want our giving to show anything less than deep and sincere gratitude. For all that God has done for us. So this morning I wanted to close real quick. With three practical principles. That would help us as a church family. First one is evaluate or reevaluate your giving. For some people, it may have been quite some time since you've really taken stock and thought about the amount that you're giving to the church. 
Well, every now and then, it, it's good to reevaluate, to just ask ourselves, you know, has my situation changed? And I'm a little better off than I was when I started giving this. Is there an opportunity, a room that I can give more? Now, some of you, and this is not, you know, this is not a guilt trip for those of you who are giving all that you can. And I believe there's many in here for which that's the case. I'm not really talking to you except to remind you all the good things that come from giving. But for others, it may have been a while since we really evaluated our habit and practice of giving. And is there an opportunity to increase? Secondly, is I think, this is, I think, kind of important. When you receive an unexpected windfall, don't forget to share that with the Lord. Whether it's a tax refund, or you sell some real estate, or you make some money on some stock, which has never been my case, you know. I always invest right before the stock market hits the bottom. You know, the 15 bucks I've invested. Uh, But, you know, every now and then there are those opportunities. Maybe a a bonus at work. Uh, Whatever the case may be. But if we're blessed a little extra, then we ought to share part of that with the Lord. And the third one, I think, is especially important. If you are not here on a particular Sunday, if you're sick, if you're out of town, if you're on vacation, whatever the case may be, make that up when you come back. Just because you were gone doesn't mean we don't got to pay the bills. I don't mean, well, I guess I do mean to put it that way. That's how I put it. I probably didn't mean it to come out that way. But, you know, if, if, if you're gone, I think a lot of times we, we have folks that miss and just think, well, I wasn't there, so I didn't give that week. And then the next week they don't make up for it. They just give what they normally give. And that puts us in a little bind. Puts us in a little hole. But if your employer didn't pay you when he went on vacation, it wouldn't work out so well. And these are just simple things. But again, I think prayerfully consider and think about our giving. And I present it to us because I believe in the works of this congregation. I believe in what we are doing. And I would never want to be in the position to have to decide what goes. What are we no longer going to be able to do in 2020 that we've been doing? Please don't put me in that position. (laughs) I don't want to be in that position. And it may be. But Paul ends that section by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jesus became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Physical blessings, yes. But the spiritual blessings, 
to be free from our sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus. If you're here this morning and there's some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.